es John Tenemos Souvenir Program Hello there uh, Hello Are you going to St. Ives? What? Uh, yes, obviously Thought you were, thought you were Are you married? What? Are you married? Uh, no, I'm sorry I am Good Good for you. Oh, yes. I'm married, all right. I've got seven wives. <laughs> no, you haven't. I have. You can't have seven wives. It's not legal. Tis if you're a Mormon. Are you a Mormon? It might be. You're not. How do you know? You don't sound like a Mormon. What do Mormons sound like? Well, not Cornish. That's racist. No, it isn't. Well, anyway, each of my wives... Your one wife. Each of my wives... Or more likely, no wives. Look, do you want to hear about my wives or not? No. Each of my wives has seven sacks. Sacks? Yes, sacks. All right, good. Each sack has seven cats. What? In the sack? Oh, yes. Each cat... No, wait, you're telling me each of your wives has a sack of cats. Oh, yes, and each cat... Right, what's your name? That doesn't matter. Each... It does matter. <laughs> It does matter because I'm going to report you to the RSPCA. No, no, it's fine. No, it's not. It's cruel. It's not cruel. They like it. Oh, sorry. They like being carried around in sacks, in batches of seven. Yes. No, they don't. Why do you have so many cats, anyway? We like cats. So do I. But I don't have 49 of them. Ah, well, nor do I, because each cat has seven kits. What? Each cat has seven kits. Each of your 49 cats has seven kittens. Yes. Well, so... first of all, that's a weird coincidence. Secondly, <laughs> you'd better not be saying the kittens are in the sacks, too. Oh, yes. Right, I'm definitely calling the RSPCA. No, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. You're telling me your wives have crammed 56 cats into each sack. They're big sacks. Well, they would have to be. And each of your wives is carrying seven of them. The question isn't how big are the sacks, it's how big are your wives. <laughs> no, no, the question is... Kits, cats, sacks, wives, how many are going to St. Ives? Where did that come from? <laughs> Just answer it, OK, and then all this is over. OK, uh, about 60. What? Oh, that's a terrible guess. No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're wrong. I fooled you. The answer's one. One? One. Yes, you met me as you were going to St. Ives, so it's one. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a train. <laughs> we're, we're all going to St. Ives. That's how trains work. You, me, and in a two-carriage train, I'm guessing about 60 other people. Uh, Whatever your complex and unlikely domestic arrangements, and however inhumanely you're treating your vast collection of cats, roughly 60 people are going to St. Ives, possibly including some or all of the women you like to call your wives, but definitely not all of your cats. How do you know? Because it's quite a small train, and I'm pretty sure I'd have noticed seven women trying to load 2,744 cats onto it. <laughs> In 49 bags. Well, that just shows all you know. Ladies and gentlemen, the next stop is St. Earth. There will be a short delay while we attach to another train. That train has 11 coaches, but please do not move forward into it as it is absolutely full. I mean, seriously, you, you don't want to go in there. Jesus. I owe you an apology. <laughs> Well, personally, if it's not uh, catching, I just help it along with a dash of lighter fluid. <laughs> Although, uh, I suppose that will get me in terrible trouble with the fire brigade. The, the fire brigade? Yes, I suppose that will bring the fire brigade down on me like a ton of bricks. Um, it, it, it's not the fire brigade, it's the fire brigade. How do you mean? Well, I mean, it's not like the PC brigade or the blue rinse brigade. The fire brigade is 
It's an actual brigade. I don't understand. Sorry. What do you think the fire brigade is? Well, you know, the fire brigade, the do-gooder fire-obsessed people who are always <laughs> nagging on about smoke alarms. Um, no, 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 they're, they're not. Well, well, OK, they are, but that's not all they are. Well, what else are they, then? They're the people who come and put out fires. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yes, they are. No, I very much doubt it. No, you can, uh, you can take it from me. The so-called fire brigade... That is what they're called. The so-called self-appointed fire brigade... Not self-appointed. They are very vocal with their unasked-for advice about smoke alarms and sunscreen. That's not them. And telling me <laughs> what I can and cannot do with my own chip pan. But come an actual fire, I think you'll find they're conspicuous by their absence. No, no, you won't find that. They come and put the fire out. I think that's perhaps a little naive of you. No, it's not. It's, it's just the facts. Yeah, your facts, maybe. No, just facts. Yeah, well, we've both made some valid points. Um... <laughs> if it's all the same to you, my version fits in better with the way I already see the world, so I, I think I'll carry on believing that. Fair enough. Uh, can I just ask, which way did you vote in the referendum? <laughs> Remain, actually. Surprised? Not at all. And actually, I, the person presented as the voice of reason in this sketch, voted leave. That's also unsurprising. Yes, I know. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> and this is the new kitchen. Oh, yes. Very nice. Very swish. New cupboards, oh. new worktops, the law, and... Piece de resistance. New floor. Oh, great, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, a checkered pattern. Mm -hmm. Very stylish. Thank you. Mm. Go on, have a, have a closer look. No, I, I can see it from here. It's amazing. Oh, no, no, no. Seriously, you should go in to get the full effect. <laughs> no, it's OK. I'm good. Go on. I said no. <laughs> but, but what? Guys, tell me something. Did you invite your only chameleon friend round here, just to see what happened when he went on your checkered floor. Not just. That's not OK, guys, that is not OK. <laughs> All right, come on, this way, over the bridge. Take it, gentlemen. I know, I this know, way. I know which way. OK, OK, so over we go. Careful. Stop telling me to be careful. I, I can hold my wine. Yeah, I know. I know you can. And you're holding a lot of it at the moment. <laughs> so let's take it gently over the bridge. No, I don't need to go gently. I'm perfectly all right. I could walk over the bridge on the, on the, what's, on the railings. In fact, I'm going to. Help me up. No, I don't think that's a very good idea. Oh, don't you? No, I don't. Right, but you're you, yes? Yes. Yes. And I am Socrates. Yes. <laughs> I know you are. Yes. I just don't think it's one of your best ideas. OK, fine. Let's say all right. Let's say it's not one of my best ideas. In fact, a thought experiment. I invented those, by the way. <laughs> Let's say it's my worst idea. OK? Mm -hmm. It's still the worst idea that Socrates ever had. OK. Hey, that's still going to be a pretty amazing idea. Yes, yeah, do, I understand. Do you know how much Plato would give to have my worst idea? <laughs> yeah. Bloody lots. You know Plato? Yes, yes, yes. yes Plato. My pupil, yeah, Plato. I, I know yeah, Plato. Yeah, probably going to be father of all Western philosophy, shouldn't wonder. Yeah? You know who he comes to when he gets stuck? 
This guy! You're very wise. I am. I am wise. I'm a, I'm a wise man. People forget how wise I am. <laughs> That's why I'm going to walk over the... Where's the bridge? We went over it five minutes ago. <laughs> and here we are at your house. Oh. You can have a lovely lie down now, OK? Oh. Well, uh, OK, fine. I am quite a sleepy, Socrates. <laughs> you know what we just had, by the way? No, what? Bloody, bloody Socratic dialogue we just had. <laughs> I should charge you for that. Tell it to Plato in the morning. He'll want to write it down. <laughs> night, night. Yeah, you need to go into the house before you can sleep. Socrates refutes you thus. <laughs> Um, yes, I'd I, I just like to uh, thank you for coming to pay your respects uh, to Irwin and say a few words to you now. Um, Irwin will be greatly missed. He will. Um, <laughs> he, was a, he was a real character, uh, wasn't he? Never lost for an opinion. Didn't suffer fools gladly, or, or at all. <laughs> uh, kept us all on our toes. <laughs> Very generous man, though. Uh, generous with... Uh, sharing his considerable knowledge uh, and very generous with his time. Uh, happy to spend hours giving uh, constructive criticism, <laughs> even to those who were perhaps too shy to ask for it. <laughs> I'm sure everyone here knows the feeling when an Irwin email would pop up with a subject line like three things or some inaccuracies or eight things. Uh, now, it's a painful subject, but um, <clears throat> I've heard it said that the accident which uh, cost Irwin his life took him by surprise. Now, he would hate you to think that, and I can personally confirm uh, that it did not, because he happened to be on the phone to me as he was returning from the steam fair that day, uh, down that narrow country lane, on foot. And uh, I can assure you, that through a gap in the hedge, he clearly saw the traction engine bearing down on the blind corner he was walking towards. I, he even had ample time to scramble out of the way, and I urged him to do so. But, as he said, it was his right of way. <laughs> a sad end, then, in some ways, but I take consolation from the fact that Truly, Irwin died the only way he would have wanted. In the right. <laughs>Ah, yes, Tony, yep. Uh, you have the speech for the Mars landing? Oh, yes, sir, we do. In fact, we have uh, two speeches. Two speeches? Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. This one, sir, this is the one we talked about, the magnificent endeavour. We stretch out to the stars, all of that. <laughs> okay, good, good. So what's the other? Well, Mr. President, if... God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. But if the landing does not go to plan, then you would give this speech. Oh, right. Sure. Good thinking, guys. Uh, leave them with me. Yeah. Uh, just one thing, Mr. President. That second speech, the disaster one? Yeah. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> it is? Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, Jessica wrote it. When she sent it to me, I was just, wow. 
You know, it's like an authentic howl of rage and mourning, but it's statesmanlike, it's dignified, it's just wow. Yeah, and then Tony added the last yeah. line, and my God, sir, I, I won't tell you, you should build up to it, but it's, it's your nothing to fear but fear yeah. itself, sir. It's your ask not what your country. It's in the quotation books forever. Well, well God forbid it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, God forbid. <laughs> Well, uh, okay, well, good work, guys. And uh, the other one? Oh, the successful mission one? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> fine? Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can say if it all goes right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it, if it all succeeds, then obviously the speech everyone will remember is whatever the guy says when he steps on Mars. Yeah, it'll be uh, one small step all over again. Yeah, who remembers what Nixon said? Who cares? <laughs> Whereas... If something goes wrong... God forbid. God forbid! <laughs> then, you know, it's all eyes on you. And that, that speech, sir, that is not going to leave them wanting. It is a phenomenal speech, sir. It basically gets you a second term. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, guys, look. Let's just cut to it, okay? Are you guys suggesting I deliberately sabotage the Mars landing just so I can give a moving speech? No, sir. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid. That would be psychotic. I don't suppose you could anyway. Could you? <laughs> I, I, I don't suppose so. Uh, okay, well, well, thanks, guys. Mr. President. President. Okay, so let's take a look at this. Ooh. Oh, wow. Wow. Dale, get me black ops. <laughs> So, James and Tina Dandridge, I understand that your house is currently on fire. Yes, that's, that's right, yes. And has been on fire, in fact, for three years. Yes, uh, yeah, just coming up to three years, yeah. Well, it sounds like a very big fire. Well, sometimes, yeah, but it's also often quite a small fire. Um, it varies. That's the problem. Uh, perhaps you could explain? Well, it's a bit embarrassing, really. What happens is every morning we wake up or we're woken up uh, by the fire, fire, roaring at the door of the bedroom and basically about to finally engulf the house once and for all. Yeah, so, so we leap out of bed and we immediately start fighting the fire for our very lives and after eight or nine hours of terrifying back-breaking work we more or less managed to get the fire contained into one room. Maybe even one corner of one room. Yeah, sort of at the level that one more hour would put it out for good, but you know... By that point, we're really tired. Yeah. And so, I, and this is really daft of us, we know this, but what we tend to say is, well, that'll do for now. Let's get some sleep and finish it off in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we said, well, it's exactly what we've said every evening for nearly three yeah. years. Yeah, and then, of course, the next morning, the fire is built back up to pretty much yeah. what it was before. Right, I see. And you've never been tempted to just put in one more hour's work at the end of the day and put it out for good? Well, yeah, that is what we should do, we absolutely. We should, we so yeah, should. I, I don't, don't know, know why we don't. No, it's just we're always so tired by then. And, and one of us will always say, look, we'll be much fresher and more full of energy in the morning. Let's do it then. And, and are you? No, no, not no, really. No, but, but, but the fire is. Oh, yes. Yeah. The fire is always much fuller of energy in the morning. Right, and what do your neighbours think of this? Well, it's fair to say they're not fans. No, they're certainly not. It's, it's put a bit of a strain on our relationship, to be honest. Mm. I mean, they were really sympathetic at first, but that sympathy has definitely declined over time. And fire. Yeah, I don't think it helps. We're in the middle of a terrorist. No, I don't find it. I don't uh, think it does either. And finally, have you ever considered calling the fire brigade? 
I'm afraid we don't have very much time for the so-called fire brigade. <laughs> Thank you. We're the householders. It's our fire. We'll sort it out in our own way. Thank you. And now your husband's mum is very kindly helping do your kids' dinner, so there's realistically no way you can avoid accidentally hearing a bit of the archers. <laughs> but don't worry, apparently they've got a psychopath now and it's perked up no end. Hello, one of the tired men who isn't, in fact, an interesting psychopath, which is virtually all of them. Hello, one of the maddeningly sensible women, which is absolutely all of them. Except that one is always doing a panto. Where's the, uh, where's the interesting psychopath chap? Well, be fair, he can't be in absolutely every scene, <laughs> although they do do their best. <laughs> and the fun panto lady? She's doing a panto. Uh, it's June. Nonetheless. <laughs> I suppose we'll just have to muddle along without them, then. I think we probably will. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, as it happens, there was something I been meaning to tell you. We're in a relationship of some sort, aren't we? I should think so, yes. Yeah. Well, I've been thinking we should expand our hog roast and prawn cocktail business into Israel. so sure that's a good idea. Well, I don't know. I've been looking into it and I think it might be a goer. No, it will definitely fail almost immediately for very obvious reasons. <laughs> right, but nonetheless, shall we spend months and months doing it anyway? <laughs> Come on, what do you say? Uh, well, all right. Against my better judgement. <laughs> Which is correct and I should listen to. <laughs> that's the spirit. Oh, look, here comes Timmy or Tommy and Janie or Jenny. Are either of them the psycho or the panto woman? Afraid not. Oh. Hello, you two. How's life in the bathroom toaster business? Well, to be honest, we have run up against a few snags. I believe I did say we would. You endlessly did. Oh, look, and here comes, I don't know, Blinky and Blonky. Wow, we've just come from closing the doors for the last time and Ambridge's first pay a hundred quid to stick a carrot in your eye parlour. <laughs> Turns out it just wasn't the demand I thought it would be. There was exactly the demand I thought there would be. Uh, it's true, I can't deny that you always had your doubts about the plan, didn't you? And yet, for some reason, I went along with it anyway. Well, I suppose you had to, really. What, because he's my husband or boyfriend or brother or father? Oh, no, no, just because this is the archers. Where every woman is Cassandra and every man is Icarus. <laughs> Doomed endlessly to repeat the same morality tale of how all men are feckless idiots with terrible ideas and all women are joyless wet blankets who are nonetheless powerless to stop them. That's about the size of it. But also, now there's a psychopath. And sometimes there's a panto. No, always there's a panto. <laughs> Well, 
Since you ask me for a story of fluttering hearts, shy proposals, and speaking glances across the drawing room, are you sure? <laughs> Only I was going to do one about vampire dinosaur pirates. <laughs> no? Not quite sure? Very well. I came late to notions of matrimony, and it was not until I was a dried-up old bachelor who would never see 21 again that old Miss Gibbethwaite, the village matchmaker, put aside her vials of phosphorus, turned from her lathe, and said to me... I declare, Mr Finnamore, I positively marvel that a gentleman of your attainments should remain unwed. <laughs> My good Mrs Gibbethwaite, said I, it would be vain of me to deny that I am terrific. <laughs> But who would you have me marry? Oh, why not one of Colonel Croom's daughters? He has a sensible one and a sensibilityable one. So, you know, something for every taste. And uh, which do you recommend? Oh, they're both good. Dorcas, the sensible one, would make a stable, steady wife, which would be ideal for you, as I am aware you do not have a coffee table. It is my secret shame. On the other hand, her sister, Impetuosia, is a young woman of rare accomplishments. I am sure she has no equal in the village for needlepoint, watercolour, taekwondo, <laughs> Lego, surfing, um, or that thing one does where one contrives to fold an empty crisp packet in upon itself in such a way as to leave merely a small, rigid triangle. I considered. I had always wanted to learn how to do that thing with crisp packets. <laughs> and the woman must have no secrets from her husband. Then, too, I remembered Miss Croom was an adept performer on the forte piano, and no less skilled upon the pianoforte. <laughs> Indeed, she could on occasion be induced to play both instruments simultaneously, playing the piano parts on the forte piano with one hand and the forte parts on the pianoforte with the other, all the while rhythmically striking a cymbal with her face. <laughs> I'm a man of specific tastes. <laughs> my mind was made up. I resolved to speak, not to her, naturally, but to her father. Sir, so, my boy, you propose to propose to my daughter. I do, sir, but naturally I do not propose to propose such a proposal without your prior approval. Very proper. <laughs> well, now, in which of my daughters, sir, the sensible one or the sensibilityable one? The sensibilityable one. <laughs> ah, indeed. You realise you'll have to do a great deal of carrying her in from thunderstorms. <laughs> and I am already in training. No, no, no. We do try and keep her in the house, but she always seems to get out. <laughs> we think she may have built herself a special flap. Well, <laughs> to business. What, what are your prospects? I had 300 a year, sir. 300 a year, eh? Yeah. And uh, tell me, is that a lot? <laughs> is it a lot? Yes, you see, in one way it doesn't sound very much, but then again, maybe in the olden days it's loads. I regret I cannot assist you, sir, but it must be quite a lot. 300 a year? It's nearly one a day. True, true. <laughs> well, let us pass on. Have you your own farouche? No, sir. You do not have your own farouche? Alas, not. Whose farouche do you have? <laughs> I have no farouche. No farouche? No, sir, I am sans farouche. Touch that! Invest in a farouche with all speech, sir. That is my advice to you. I have two farouches. My old farouche and my new farouche. A new farouche? Yes, my new farouche is a blue farouche. I wish you joy of it. What is a farouche? It's a species of cockatiel. Ah. Well, then, what do you have? Uh, I have a horse and pair. A pair of what? 
A pair of horses. You have a horse and a pair of horses. Yes, you have, in fact, three horses. I've never thought of it like that. Yes, I suppose I do. You never reckoned up your total head of horse? Well, sir, two of the horses are such good friends, and the other, if anything, rather standoffish. But I hope three horses is sufficient to keep your daughter in the style to which she is accustomed. Oh, indeed! As it happens, we have but one horse. Then I shall take every care to ensure the pair are concealed from her. <laughs> and with this assurance, and the father's blessing ringing in my ears, I hasten to find Miss Croom, who is sitting with her sister in the proposal parlour. She was playing a sweet melody on an instrument of her own invention, the piano piano, <laughs> capable of playing music of exquisite charm, which is, alas, entirely inaudible. <laughs> and Miss Croom, may I beg the favour of a few minutes' intercourse, which, as you well know, is an old-fashioned word for talking. I do know that, Mr Finnamore, yes. But anything you have to say to me, you may say equally as well in front of my sister. This is, after all, the fifth year of her coma. <laughs> well, then. Know now that I have spoken to your father. I have told him that I have 300 a year, a horse and pair which you need never see together, and I intend to obtain for myself a farouche as soon as the pet shop opens in the morning. All this being the case, plus, you know, I like you and stuff, will you accept the greatest honour I have to bestow and become Mrs. Me? <laughs> Mr. Finnemore. She laughed, which didn't seem tremendously promising. Deeply sensible of the honour, of course. But surely you must realise that in the quarter hour I have sat in this proposal parlour alone, I have received eight such proposals. The last from Lord Henry Alpha Male. He has 750 a year. That's two a day and a dozen at Christmas. He also commands a horse, a pair of horses, a horse quartet and another horse. And an entire flock of ferouches. And he's handsome and witty and terrific in bed. Um, so you, um... Oh, yes. Many's the time he has begged me for the favour of a few hours' intercourse, which, as you well know, is a newfangled word. Yes, no, quite. <laughs> um, but still, you give me leave to hope. No. Oh. Very well. Then, before I quit these shores forever and attempt to bury my heartbreak by devoting myself to discovering the lost treasure of Count von Triceratops, <laughs> may I beg one last favour? Well? I, I blush to ask it, but if I might whisper, I wonder if you... Oh, you men are all the same. <laughs> Very well. Madam, you have made me the happiest man in the world. And so it was. But I remain to this day a confirmed old bachelor. But look how tiny I've made this crisp packet! <laughs> Good night! John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme was written and performed by John Finnemore with Michael Cable Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin, and Harry Quinlan. The producer was Ed Morrish, and it was a BBC Studios production. Finnemore knows perfectly well what my name is, and it's frankly disingenuous of him to pretend otherwise. Sorry, Linda. I should hope so. How's the panto? Oh, eternal. <laughs> <laughs>